It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on a uh, wonderful Monday, July 20th, just after the LA Galaxy's embarrassing loss to LAFC in the El Trafico that wasn't really an El Trafico, and I said that before the game, so I can still say that. It wasn't really an El Trafico, a 6-2 loss, so we have a bunch to talk about that game. Uh, Currently, really, where the LA Galaxy stand and maybe how they can get back on track. So, a lot of LA Galaxy, LAFC information. Uh, We have post-game quotes on there. We're going to have conference standings and group standings, and we're going to try to do our best as we know it right now to tell you what happens with the third place teams and how the LA Galaxy might be able to advance, although a, a wing and a prayer is, is more accurate for all of this. Um, and then we're, of course, going to get you ready, a little ready, for the game that uh, is coming up on Thursday, July 23rd against the Houston Dynamo. Uh, remember, that's my birthday, so there's bigger news than just the game. My birthday's that day, so we'll, we'll start with that. Uh, but to help me do all that, still a bubble adjacent, not really in Orlando as we went over last time, but Orlando adjacent as well. Uh, it's Kevin the Panda Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Like Buena Vista, and it wasn't an El Trafico. It was more like a hit-and-run collision, I think, a hit-and-run accident. It was not an El Trafico because there were no fans. It wasn't played in Los Angeles, all right? It was in the swamp in Florida. That's where it was. I fought El Trafico. Yes. <laughs> you you were there, by the way. Um, we talked, uh, which about- means I didn't see any of it, given <laughs> where they put the press in these at, for these games. I, I would I would agree with that because uh, I saw where they sort of put you down there at the end. <laughs> There's no way you could right. see any of that game. You can't um, see the other field at all. Anything that goes on at the other field, like the first game, the Chicharito's penalty kick, that was a rumor. Um, you know that I didn't. You can't see any of that. Anything that happens on the far end of the field. Um, it, it's, you know, and there's no announcements. The other thing, if, if there's a VAR decision, I mean, you have to be watching the game like a hawk, which is difficult to do when you're writing on deadline because you got your head down writing and there's no announcements, yellow cards, red cards, you know, a guy's been, uh, ejected only when he walks off and you have to watch because he could be going to get water on the sidelines or whatever. Um, there's no announcements, VAR that, you know, uh, none of that stuff uh, is, tr- is transmitted to us in the media area and there's only 10 reporters there so yeah it's very you're much better watching the games at home uh, on tv because the zoom press conferences there's no advantage to being there everyone gets asked questions it's you know it doesn't matter where you could be in orlando or timbuktu um so anyway yeah pretty poor experience being here all all things considered i I would say that uh pretty poor experience for la galaxy fans watching this game as well and that's maybe a little surprising just because of the way the first half went and you thought hey this is going to be one of those games where it's going to go back and forth and and everything else let's start with the uh the starting lineup uh the starting lineup that didn't feature cameron dunbar who was i think the galaxy's most dynamic player in the first game um an la galaxy lineup that you know didn't have chicharito as we've uh as i'm sure everybody knows but we'll we'll say it again uh chicharito picked up a calf injury in training um earlier in the week and a couple hours uh really it started about 24 hours before the game but a couple hours before the game uh the news really sort of peaked there kevin and i know that you uh you had one of the first uh confirmed um you know uh stories and uh, announcements on chicharito there with the calf strain um and well, so it turns out it's not a strain it, it turns out there appears to be a little bit of a tear well so that's what and- guillermo said right i mean that's what we're going off of is that there is a tear because Guillermo said in the press conference that there was a tear. 
um, that the muscle tore is what he said. And but the Galaxy came out with an announcement today. They're they're just calling it a strain, which can indicate like a small tear, I guess. Um, but for the most part, they're not saying it like it's a calf tear. But he did get on a plane and come back home today, Monday. He, he's back in Los Angeles by the time you listen to this podcast. So, uh, you know, maybe the, why keep him in the quarantine, I guess, is part of the reason why, you know, why, why put him through that for another couple of days. It's not going to be much longer for the rest of the team comes home, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I kind of read that as perhaps it was a little more severe than just a strain, which could be taken care of with the athletic trainers here. I think if it's a little bit of a even a small tear, he probably wants to get back and see some specialists that he can't see in Orlando. So when, when they send him home, you know, part of it is of course, get out of quarantine, but I think he needs more specialized treatment. In any case, he's not going to be back for two to four weeks, two weeks and four weeks. It's the same difference because this tournament's not going to end until August 11th. If the galaxy somehow advanced the second round, they'll miss him. But if, if they don't, they're going to have to wait until August after August 11th, uh, to play another game anyway. So, uh, again, two weeks or four weeks doesn't really matter to Chicharito. He's out until at least the next game, which will be mid to late August, the earliest. Yeah, it, it all makes sense. I mean, there's really no advantage for him staying there. Um, also, you know, his wife is pregnant. It's always, he, I'm sure he wanted to get back for that as well. But um, realistically, being injured, not being able to get really the treatment probably that he needed to be able to get, the rest uh, that he needs to be able to get, and to be in a more comfortable environment for him all makes sense to that. And it, it's interesting because there were a lot of reports um, you know, from the sideline from ESPN that, you know, people are questioning Chicharito in this injury. I don't know why, but they feel that there's a need to question whether or not he's actually injured. Uh, I saw him limping. Uh, ESPN saw him limping. Kevin, I'm sure you saw him limping whenever he came out as well. However, that ends up happening. The man is injured. Um, and he came back to Los Angeles uh, after being the loudest person out of anybody on the LA Galaxy bench for the entire uh, rivalry game. Uh, that's the guy. You didn't hear Guillermo yelling on on the video. Uh, ESPN even made a point of this during the broadcast. You didn't hear you know Guillermo yelling. You didn't hear any of the coaches yelling. You heard one voice. That was Chicharitos for the entire broadcast uh, coming from the LA Galaxy side. So the the man was invested in the game. Uh, I'm sure it hurts that he didn't get to play. And obviously, you know, you look at this again, Kevin. We've talked about this many times. The lack of minutes being played by designated players for the LA Galaxy over the last, let's say, three or four years is kind of mind-boggling, uh, especially whenever I think Galaxy fans were used to guys like David Beckham, who had his injury uh, knocks on occasion, but played a lot of minutes. Guys like Landon Donovan and guys like Robbie Keane. I mean, Robbie Keane didn't miss miss games because he was injured. Robbie Keane was on the field, um, you know, pretty much his entire career. So, well, uh, what I think is interesting about this is you know, you and I have talked, and everyone else has talked. Javier Valdecantos, the guy called the butcher, he was the famed trainer, the no nonsense guy. Remember when he came here with Guillermo from Argentina? It was like, oh, these American players are so soft. We're going to whip them into shape, and they had two a days that first. Uh, training session, uh, his first, uh, you know, uh, preseason here. Um, I, you know, I don't know what he's doing, but it doesn't seem to be working when you look at Jonathan Dos Santos, who's also out. And we forget about that because he didn't even make the trip, but Jonathan Dos Santos has struggled with injuries for the last two years. And, and they, they uh, this one is a sports hernia, but you know, he's had hamstring and other problems. They appear to be like those soft muscle tissues that just aren't healing. Um, Chicharito is a calf, you know, again, a soft muscle tissue, I think what happened with Chicharito is it is so hot and humid here he, that he just was not hydrated. And that's what will happen is you pull those muscles when you're not hydrated. And I think maybe uh, he, he did it after playing 90 minutes. He, he did it, uh, you know, two training sessions after playing 90 minutes. 
So that could be part of it. Dan Steris had a soft muscle injury, uh, soft muscle tissue injury in spring training, in uh, the preseason. Yeah, camp. spring training, preseason, right, same the thing. First two, yeah, same thing. <laughs> and it, it's in kind of the winter, same time as spring training. But And he missed two games. And I, I'm just not seeing this uh, – this uh, you know world-renowned training program, I don't see it working. I see, like like you said, I see a lot of guys getting hurt. You know, and this actually goes back to 2017. You know, yeah. Kurt Onofo, when he was coach, he never had the same lineup, and then it went through the Ziggy years, and it just seems to be continuing. So uh, you know, again, talking about Valdo Cantos, um, he's probably the third or fourth uh, you know chief athletic trainer that they've had there. And none of them seem to be able to make it work. Yeah, I was going to say 360 minutes played so far this season through four games. That's 90 times four in case you want to do the math. Uh, 360 total minutes. Uh, we always give you the total available minutes and how much, what a percentage of the designated players actually played that. Um, right now, uh, Chicharito has played 75% of the total available minutes. Christian Pavone, 100%. And Jonathan Dos Santos, 12.5%. If you average all that together, 62.5% uh, uh, of the available minutes have been played by the designated players so far. Uh, you can't have your most expensive players sitting on the bench not playing. Um, you know, Kevin, uh, you can go back to the uh, Steven Gerrard, Robbie Keane sitting on the bench, you know, for playoff games uh, under Bruce Arena, under his sort of last hurrah there um, that you, we've talked about. But you can't have that much money sitting on the bench or injured um, and it's not something that's sustainable. And you can't tell me that... Um, I'll say this. When you look at these two um, when you look at these two lineups, uh, the way that they're set and the talent gap, and remember, Carlos Vela didn't play for LAFC because he decided to stay home. Um, so whenever you're looking at these, there's a talent gap between the LA Galaxy starting lineup that includes guys like Sebastian Lejet and Emil Cuello, Julian Araujo, uh, Joe Corona, Perry Kitchen, you know, Insua, Gonzalez, Steris, Felcher, Bingham, and Pavone up there at the top. Uh, there's a talent gap between these two sides. Um, and it's something that the LA Galaxy won through injury can't match up. And quite honestly, in the depth that LAFC has built um, and the depth that the LA Galaxy have built, those two things are not equal. And you saw that in this game. And not only did you see that in this game, um, that the Galaxy were able to compete through the first 45 minutes and probably the, the second goal that happened just before halftime, uh, that probably broke their back. But really even coming out in the second half and understanding that there was a change in tactics from LAFC, no response from the LA Galaxy and when subs started happening for LAFC the score started getting out of hand and we have been critical on this show of Guillermo Barrascoloto, his substitution record and what he's doing uh, through the first game he only made two subs the LA Galaxy were the only team through all those games all the way up until this game to have only made two subs and in this particular game realistically Guillermo again made two subs the third sub came in the 89th minute when it was you know 5-2-6-2 whenever that final um goal was probably put in uh they brought carlos harvey on it it's it's unbelievable that you have guys who were one asked to go 90 minutes whenever there were subs available on the bench um and quite honestly with the people who were on the bench kevin whenever you look at this guys like sasha kleshen was on the bench gordon wilde was on the bench cameron dunbar i mentioned as one of the best players in the first game was on the bench ethan zubak is on the bench these aren't game changers but certainly bringing sasha kleshen in before you know the 70th something minute probably should have been a good idea for Guillermo whenever he saw his guys getting run over through the midfield um it, it's, he it, says he didn't notice that they were lacking fitness and all of the players both those who spoken publicly and uh privately have all said yeah we were gassed we were completely 
we were completely gone. I mean, they're not they're not going to say that. You know, they're, listen, they're, you're never going to really see it, but you, you heard it in some of the stuff. You heard it in Pavon. You heard it in, in Legette. You know, nobody's going to say they were tired, and that's one of the reasons that this, this went away. But in the heat and humidity, when you have a team that made four subs on one side and realistically a team that made just two subs on the other side, um, and you look through the entirety of this tournament, this tournament is a different beast than anything else that we have sort of seen uh, with the five sub rules and all these different things. And it seems to me that one, the lack of adjustments at halftime from Guillermo Barrescoloto, uh, the lack of ideas that is currently coming off the bench and from this LA Galaxy team, and the lack of substitutions, the lack of the ability to understand that your guys need to change something up and just the energy they bring can change it up. It doesn't have to be a game-changing sub. It doesn't have to be the best sub in the world. But you can't tell me that Sasha Kleshin, one, should have gone 90 minutes in the the first game and two shouldn't have been in this game earlier when the midfield was being overrun in the second half it's it's almost like coaching malpractice in what what you saw and uh kevin you had it in your story people were paying attention to it espn got you know obsessed with it was showing guillermo barrescoloto on the sideline looking absolutely either i would say perplexed uninterested um i don't know uh you know just he didn't seem engaged. And again, the one voice that you heard from that side wasn't the coach. It was Chicharito yelling from the side. So um, it's a failure all across the board for me. I, I don't know that you can take a bunch of positives from, from any of this. Well, the six goals allowed. I mean, four in the second half, by the way, three, I think, after the 70th minute, if I'm correct. And, and you know, that speaks, I think, to the fact that these guys were pretty exhausted. LAFC started making their substitutions fairly early. Um, and, and I think it made a difference. They moved some guys around. Latif Blessing went and played outside back, and they did some other interesting things. LAFC, you know, the Galaxy, we've talked about this before. We talked about it last week. Guillermo comes out of the locker room with a game plan, and that's the way the team's going to play. Um, Sebastian Legit talked about they were getting overwhelmed in the midfield. I didn't see an answer um, to that from the bench. Guys were getting gassed. Uh, you know, again, that um, LAFC was making substitutions. The Galaxy did not, and the game just continued to slip further and further out of hand. Yeah, when you look at it, it, it was, you know, it was uh, 2-2 at halftime. Then it was, at the 56 minute, 3-2, Bradley Wright Phillips goals put them ahead. So it's still a close game. It's still 3-2. Then the last 15 minutes, or the last 15 minutes of regulation and then stoppage time, three goals. Yep. That's when the Galaxy are not making their subs. Everyone's exhausted. LAFC has um, five fresh new bodies on the field. I think it makes a difference. It, it absolutely does make a difference. And and I was the one, by the way, who asked, uh, in, at least in, in English, and I know the question was parroted um, and, and said much nicer than by our good friend John Rojas in Spanish. Um, and, you know, asking Guillermo about the subs. Um, and, and Guillermo says, I didn't see the fitness going down the best. Uh, we were playing well and we made some mistakes in the second half after when Pavone scored, but I don't see the fitness going down because we feel the humidity or heat. So I think everyone is ready to run. I could see maybe more that we gave up before the time. I saw that. I didn't see the fitness going down. So instead of saying that there are substitutions in this, Guillermo is saying and said it on multiple occasions throughout the press conference that this team simply gave up. And I don't see 
that. What I see is a talent gap that certainly needs to be addressed by Dennis DeCloso, and obviously getting people healthy helps that. It doesn't close the gap completely, however. Um, you know, the depth on the LA Galaxy is atrocious, and we've been hinting at that forever. They uh, Realistically, they, they have been focused on getting another defender in there, and I think People Gonzalez had one of his worst games. Um, and if we go back to the playoff game, uh, People Gonzalez had a very poor game, and that was even when Diego Polenta was there, but all the goals basically came from that side. Um, you can see something similar in this game as well, that the left-hand side of the LA Galaxy defense with People Gonzalez and Emiliano and Sua was attacked relentlessly. Actually, I thought Rolf Felcher had an okay game. I thought Dan Stairs had an okay game. I know everybody's going to talk about the one he whiffed on. Uh, I imagine that Dan would tell you that uh, the clearance he tried to whiff on was his fault. He should have got it. And he made a mistake. I imagine that's what Dan would tell you. Uh, I I will I will die on this hill, and I have no problems with it. Having been in this exact situation many times, is that when you turn around, you're facing your own goal, and the ball just rebounded off your goalkeeper, and it's coming right at you, and you're already running at it, and you're trying not to run into your goalkeeper, and you're trying not to hit the ball back into your own goal. That makes a very difficult clearance even more difficult. Uh, Diego Rossi ended up burying that, and that ended up being, uh, I think, the tying goal in that in that first half. So. You look at all these things that, that kind of comes into this and you say something has to change here for the LA Galaxy. This is a wake up call, but this was not something that you couldn't predict was going to happen, Kevin. Um, I was talking with one of my uh, good friends today about this particular game. This friend uh, is an LAFC fan, and so we were sort of discussing it. And I said, if you're going into this game, there's no way you couldn't have predicted a lopsided victory for LAFC. Now, I think that that has been true most of the times the Galaxy have faced LAFC, and I understand that this rivalry produces different results than what are expected. But a 6-2 loss with who the LA Galaxy had on the field and Guillermo's inability, I think, right now to adjust his players to any sort of tactical situation uh, leads to this sort of lopsided result. Uh, I don't think this was, this was something that you couldn't have predicted. Well, you know what's funny is you try to look, and as I did, you try to look for some bright sides, uh, you know, some bright things for the Galaxy, like we did in the first game, you know, with Dunbar's play and Gordon Wild. And so you look at this and you say, well, the Galaxy got outshot 19 to 6. That's not a good thing. Uh, the possession was one sided, almost uh, 2 to 1 in favor of LAFC. Um, but okay, so the Galaxy scored two goals. You know, the two goals equaled their season output in the first. Uh, three games. So before this, they had scored two goals. They scored two goals in the first 31 minutes. Right. That's a positive sign until you break down the goals. One was an own goal and one came on a penalty kick where Christian Pavone had to take the kick twice. Got the kick, take the kick twice, I should say, because the first one was blocked, but uh, Cisniega came off those line early. So, the, you know, it, it, a very fluky kind of start. Yeah, they had two goals, one on an own goal and one on a penalty kick that got to be retaken after it was saved. It, it, I mean, it's just, it's really hard to find anything good to say after this game. I'll, I'll say this, you know, the, the goal, the, the own goal that Latif Blessing knocked into his own net, that was an intelligent run by Sebastian Legette. It's not often you see him in that position making that run. And I thought for the first half of this game that the LA Galaxy were good at breaking LAFC pressure. I thought they were good at finding outlets and I thought that they dribbled into 
um, deeper positions and, and made intelligent crosses in the first half. I think that all went out the window in the second half whenever LAFC applied more pressure to the midfield. Uh, a guy like Sebastian Legette didn't have any more room. Uh, Perry, you know, Joe Corona, who I think was one of the better standouts in this game, and I thought he had a great night until he ran out of gas really in the second half and should have been replaced by Sasha Kleshin much earlier than it happened. Um, I thought Joe Corona played well. He dominated in the first half in the midfield. He was good at tackling. He was good at distributing. Um, so there was a lot of pluses. I still like Christian Pavone in the free roll. I think that giving Christian Pavone a, a free pass to be anywhere and everywhere is just perfectly fine for him because he's absolutely the most talented player on the field and you want him to create, you want him to score, you want him to do all those things. And so I like him in that role. Um, I didn't mind Sebastian Legette technically playing under him, um, although it was more of a 4-5-1 than it was maybe even like a 4-4-1-1. Uh, I didn't hate Emil Cuello on the outside. I didn't hate uh, Julian Araujo on the right-hand side. Um, so I think that there were some things that you could take there and say, okay, you know, you, you plug Jonathan Dos Santos in for Perry Kitchen, and all of a sudden you have a little bit of a more interesting lineup as it stands with, you know, sort of the personnel, and you get a more dynamic LA Galaxy team that's capable of controlling more. But having said that, the Galaxy don't have any ideas. I'm not sure Guillermo Barrescoletto has given them any tools to come up with ideas. Uh, they seem stuck in a rut, which is play to the outside and cross into the middle. Uh, and as we said the last podcast, not all crosses are created the same. Certainly the cross that Legette put in that was knocked in by Blessing is a different cross than just coming to the corner and kicking it. And I think that you know Rolf Felcher is certainly guilty of that particular sin on many occasions to just get to the corner. Um, I, like the penetra- I like some of the penetration you saw into the box in the first half, but that penetration penetration was gone in the second half. Uh, you're right, Kevin. There's not many positives that you can pull out of this. I'm, I think that's better because uh, if you want change, if you want a reaction from the players, from the coach, uh, then you don't want to be able to sit there and, and hang on some moral victory. Bottom line is this is your biggest rival uh, in the biggest game that is going to be played, you know, in, in this, this COVID affected cup that is sort of going on. Uh, and the LA galaxy needed to show up. And for 45 minutes, I think they did an okay job with that. Um, but the really interesting thing was, you know, Sebastian Legette talked about this. Uh, and he said after the game, he says, I played in almost all these El Traficos. We always seem to be going the same, always be doing the same thing where we always concede either at the end of the game or right at the end of the first half. It's a, it's as if I was preparing for that. I told the guys, just hold it. We have to kick it out. We have to do whatever we can those last minutes. And that kills us. When they tied that 2-2, I think that was a game changer for us. So... Again, uh, I think the criticism of the LA Galaxy being soft uh, mentally is still an accurate one. I think the criticism of Guillermo Barrescoloto not imprinting any sort of uh, style on this team is an accurate one right now. And I think with the injuries that are currently happening to two designated players uh, and who Dennis DeClosa and Guillermo Barrescoloto have loaded up the rest of the team, I think the LA Galaxy are at a severe talent gap as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, big one, not big on ones for positives right now. Oh, here's another thing, too. Consider the fact that Galaxy didn't have a game for four months. They had all that time to prepare. Well, they weren't in training uh, every day. Yes, I know that they were in training for about a month, and they had individual training before that. But the coaches had all that time to break down film, to identify weaknesses, to find out where they were, where they didn't play well in the first two games. I mean, they, let's face it, they didn't play well in, in the tie in Houston and the loss to Vancouver. They were fairly atrocious in those two games, too. Guillermo had a month with his assistant or four months with his assistant coaches to come up with a solution for that. I don't see that solution. Then they had what three weeks at least knowing the schedule, knowing that they're going to play these three teams in group play in this order. And they had a chance to prepare. 
I don't see any of that preparation. I mean, what were they doing with all that time? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, some of it is that this is certainly not a normal season, and I think we have to acknowledge that, and it certainly wasn't a normal training regime, and, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that as well. So, I mean, we can we can understand some of that, but at the same time, all the rest of the teams that are around there also had this adjusted schedule and things that they had to do um, sort of differently. And so I think when you're looking at that and you're trying to understand it, you have to understand that, you know, everybody's kind of in the same boat. And the fact that you had to reload so many players um, from the offseason also puts you at a disadvantage, not playing together. I think, you know, before coming into the season and before, you know, COVID-19 shut down a whole bunch of things, Kevin, I think we were fairly accurate in understanding that, you know, the LA Galaxy were to take a little while to get this season going um, because there were so many changes. Things weren't new. They had to fit in Alexander Katai, which now they don't have. So all the preparation they did do kind of goes out the window as well. Um, you know, they had to be able to figure out what their style of soccer is. And for as gifted as an attacker as Gamer Barra was, who always seemed to have ideas about how to attack and where to be in the late runs and everything else, his team seemed to be lacking that. Uh, and I don't know what Boca, if it was just a matter of fact that he had really good players that understood how to play the game and therefore would just sort of fill any of those holes and shortcomings that he had as a coach. Uh, because certainly Boca was, you know, a, a good team under Gamer Barra um, and a team, you know, in Argentina that's bigger than anything, you know, the LA Galaxy sort of could hope to be sort of in in the current situation in, in Major League Soccer. I mean, Boca is a religion in, in Argentina. Um, and so, you know, he had a lot of pressure there. And I think that, you know, he didn't win some finals, which, which we know about. Um, and that sort of cost him his job there. And now he comes to LA. And the bottom line is the talent's not there to make up for his shortcomings. Um, and I think that's a real problem. I think it's a problem the LA Galaxy have to address. And when you talk to him, Kevin... And I understand that there's a language barrier here. He's doing the best he can with with English. And trust me, his English is way better than my Spanish. Um, so whenever you look at all of that and you say, hey, you know, uh, you ask him questions and you try to get the answers for those questions, Kevin, there's just there's nothing in this. I mean, I've gone. I listened to the whole press conference. I was not impressed or and I did not believe that Guillermo Barros-Coloto saw the same game that I think everybody else saw, um, which is. A scary place to be in his situation where basically the LA Galaxy, and not basically, but they are, uh, the LA Galaxy are now getting to uh, the point where they are the they have the worst start in franchise history in LA Galaxy history. Uh, yeah, one point through four games. And, and here's the other thing. I think you can make the, the, the argument that they're getting progressively worse. I mean, the first game here in group play, they were pretty good. They weren't very creative offensively, but they kept the game tight where they – you know, if Gordon Wilde's uh, goal isn't ruled offside, they actually get away with a point in that in that game. But, I mean, the Houston game, the first game of the season, they were okay. The Vancouver game, I thought they were terrible. Um, Portland, uh, okay, I, I suppose. And then the LAFC game, they were horrible again. And so you just don't see any kind of momentum or progression or, or movement forward. Yeah, and, and you know, and where do you blame? I mean, listen, I've seen the argument, Kevin, that this isn't Guillermo Barra-Scalotto's team, and I look at the starting lineup and I say, really? I go, because most of those guys in here were brought in during his tenure. Um, yeah, it's exactly what I thought, that Guillermo's, you know, Kurt Anoffo had the excuse that, hey, they didn't give me the horses to run this race. And yes, I would I would agree with Kurt. Did Kurt make mistakes? Was Kurt the, the, the greatest coach the Galaxy have ever had? No, but I think he had an argument. You look at if Guillermo tries to make that argument, you have Zolata, you have Chicharito. Yes, he's not the Chicharito at Man United, but he's still 
Javier Hernandez. The, you know, you, you have, if you can stay healthy, you have Jonathan Dos Santos. You, Guillermo, wanted Pavone, you know, uh, worse than, than anything. You got him. You wanted Giancarlo Gonzalez. You got him. You know, you wanted Insua. You got him. They, they, uh, gave, they gave Rolf Felcher a contract extension. So that's his player now, too. Yeah, I, I don't see the argument. Is, is, this, is this Boca Juniors? I mean, he keeps everyone in, in Argentina that has a pulse. He tries to bring him up here to play, and I understand that he's comfortable with those players and that system. But to make the argument that this is not the team I wanted, um, y- yes, it is. It, it, it very much is the team you wanted. Uh, you let, um, you let uh, Antuna get away. I realize you couldn't afford to keep him. That's fine. Um, you know, Alessandrini didn't come back. He would be pretty useful right now. This is the team that Guillermo wanted, and uh, for the most part, um, and it's she's it's, just not making it work. No, and uh, and that's a big problem for LA Galaxy fans. Um, listen, I don't know if there should be drastic changes. You know, people obviously have the pitchforks out, and I understand that. Um, it's it's a it's an uh, it's a, a believable reaction to a horrible game. Um, I don't know that the Galaxy should fix anything. I don't know that AEG has the funds that wants to fix anything right now in terms of, you know, Guillermo Barros-Coloto. I mean, we have to remember, again, the season that we're in, uh, the surroundings of this season, you know, with the global pandemic going on. Um, we have to understand the injury that the global pandemic has caused to AEG as part of that as well. Um, so all these things sort of fill into that. And, you know, we talk about, uh, coaches that the LA Galaxy have had um, and that they're paying and, you know, all these other things. So, I mean, there's a lot of money that's been invested in the coaching side of things. There's a lot of money that's been invested in the player side of things. And without understanding what the transfer market is going to be and without understanding what the LA Galaxy's purchasing power is going to be like in a, uh, a COVID-affected effect- environment, it's difficult to say that now is the right time to get rid of Guillermo Barish-Goloto. Um, I also think it's, it's unfair. You've seen him really play two games and then break for four months, and then play two more games. Um, and people people always want to say, well, what time frame is good? And it's always like, I don't know. In this environment, I'm not sure that 15 games makes a whole bunch of sense uh, until you have a good idea of what it is. But what we're seeing from the LA Galaxy, what we're seeing from Guillermo Barrascoloto has me trending in this negative, uh, certainly, tone with him. And I, I, I think that he's only going to come under more and more fire. Um, I think the Spanish-speaking media do a great job in getting some information uh, from him, uh, probably better than uh, than the English side. But I also don't think that Guillermo likes to talk a whole bunch about the decisions that he makes on the field and how that goes. And Bruce Arena was the same way. Um, you wanted to try to get some insight into what was going on between uh, between the ears, and and a lot of times Bruce didn't want to give you that time. Uh, and I think Guillermo is a, does it in a lot nicer way uh, a lot of times uh, for me. But uh, you, you know what's funny about Guillermo when I try to speak to him in Spanish is I'll ask him a question in Spanish. Uh, and then he'll respond to me in English, which is, I mean, the reason I ask him the question in Spanish is I want the request, the response in Spanish because he is more comfortable and a little bit more, um, descriptive. I don't say insightful, descriptive. Yeah. Yes, that's a good word in, in Spanish, but not a ton more insightful. It, it, it's not like, you know, if you're doing English that you're missing these, these great, uh, you know, the sermons from the Mount, it's, it's not very deep one way or the other. So he's a little more descriptive, but yeah, and he doesn't. He doesn't like criticism, and that's why you see him come to a lot of the press conferences and say, we should have won that game. We deserved a better result. Yeah. And it's like, what game were you watching? Yeah. You didn't deserve a better result. That You you deserved what you got for the most part. Um, so that's kind of his excuse. It's kind of a um, wasn't my fault. You know, it, the player I didn't sub because the players didn't need to be subbed. Every player that we talked to said, oh, my God, I was uh, completely gassed. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's there's not much loss in the translation, I guess, is my point. Yeah, and I can understand that. And and again, um, you know, I don't like I don't like this stance that he says, you know, that the team gave up. And I feel it's a little bit of a mistranslation of what he's trying to say in what he's saying. But at the same time, I also think he knows what he's saying. Um, so it's it's a difficult line to walk with. I know Damian Calhoun had it in his in his uh, title, um, and obviously, uh, you know, I picked up on it as well whenever I came in there. And uh, you know, he's talking about giving up that they stopped playing, um, and I think that's probably the better way of saying it, is that they stopped playing. That's what he saw is they stopped playing the way that he wanted them to play. He goes, they stopped looking for you know Cuello on the left and Araujo on the right. Uh, Cuello was gassed, Araujo was gassed. Um, you know, the guys in the middle field, Perry Kitchen, uh, held it together for a while there. Um, and then he was gassed and Joe Corona was gassed well before the 70th minute, whenever he, I think he finally got sub for Sasha Kleshton. And so, uh, you can see it and, and where it's happening and the de- defensive breakdowns. Yes. You can blame the defense. You can also blame a non-existent offense because I watched some of those plays and the ball coming through the middle was just wide open multiple times. Uh, people Gonzalez gives people too much room. Uh, the right side of the defense has been better than the left hand side of the defense. I'm not saying any of them were great whenever you give up six goals. I think David Bingham is under the gun again uh, to and and really one of his biggest problems has always been his inability to guide the ball uh, wide of the goal mouth whenever he can't catch a ball. Um, and, and so he leads to those big rebounds. He knocks it into people whenever they're, they're coming. He's not necessarily the best with his ball control of moving the ball around the goal. And, you know, on the Bradley Wright Phillips goal. I'll stand by this. Like the two things, listen, I'll never pretend I'm a professional athlete. I don't pretend I have the skill to be a professional athlete. Um, I don't pretend that I had the the intellect to be a professional athlete. I didn't have the mental strength to be a professional athlete. Uh, and my best sport when I was growing up was soccer or was uh, baseball. I, I was always a much better baseball player than I was a soccer player. However, saying all that, I understand soccer even better than I did baseball in terms of just positioning and how things go. And I was a center back. Um, I was a center back and a goalkeeper. So I feel like I'm coming at least from a little bit of understanding whenever I look at center backs like Dan Stairs and people Gonzalez and understand and having talked with many a center back and many defender uh, over the years, I can tell you that I can relate to them. I understand what they see um, and I can see those things. And I can say the same thing sort of with goalkeeping is I understand where Bingham's coming from. uh, But on the Bradley Wright Phillips goal for me it's an understanding of where where Bradley Wright Phillips the only place he was going to put that ball was in that far corner everybody saw that Uh, people had the angle shut down to the near post so he wasn't going to hit it near post and yet Bingham still gets beat to the far post there I'm not saying you cheat but you know where that ball is going to go before it's hit Um, and I think that that was another mistake that that came on the Bingham side of things as well so I mean there's nobody who's absolved of any sins on this team and I think if you want to blame everybody, you can. Um, there were some good individual performances, which we sort of highlighted. But when you look at Guillermo and what you know, GBS has sort of done with this team so far, Kevin, it seems like they're going backwards, as you as you put before it, backwards and not forwards. Where's the progress? Where's the steps forward? You had Dunbar have a really great game. That was a step forward for a player that you should have rewarded with more playing time, but he didn't get put in there to play. Um, and so I don't know if Guillermo Barrescoloto is seeing this as totally a preseason tournament and it doesn't matter and he doesn't care and the season doesn't matter. I don't know if that's his, his sort of take on this stuff. I, I don't believe it is. They talk about wanting to win. They talk about wanting to do different things. Now you have the LA Galaxy, zero points uh, in the group, one point total through four games. As we said, the worst start in franchise history. Um, and I don't know. People, whenever I said it was the second worst start in franchise history after three games, they laughed and said it's only three games, but... 
now at four games, it seems more real to some people. So, um, you know, you look at all these and there's certainly a way that you can say, okay, the LA Galaxy, you know, need to do a better job. Um, but the way they're trending right now is down and, and not up. Well, and, and here's the thing. If you're talking, you're sort of intimating that maybe Guillermo's not taking this seriously. He better take this next game seriously. Um, this is going to be a, a measuring stick game. Houston, to me, seems greatly improved from the Houston team that we saw February 29th. But it is a measuring stick because that game ended in 1-1 draw, and you can look at how the teams played against each other and which team improved and which team didn't. Again, I think Houston looks like it's much improved. But still, this is a team you played early in the season. You're going to play them again now. How does how do those game, they, games change? And I think Guillermo is, is on a hot seat, and here's why. If there's not a marked improvement, if the team doesn't respond to him and respond to this character building the time they're going through and play much better, um, you, now you're facing a month-long break. Because, again, the MLS season, if it resumes at home, and we don't know that it will, that's the plan, but if it resumes at home, will not resume until after August 11th when the MLS back is back tournament ends. That gives the Galaxy three weeks to evaluate this. If you're going to make a coaching change, if you're going to bring Dom and make Dom Kinnear the, the manager again, are you going to bring in someone from outside? Now's the time you do it because you have three weeks. Don't do it when there's a week between games. Do it now and say, okay, we're scrapping this. We're starting over. If Guillermo doesn't give them a reason to keep him with this next game, I think that's something the Galaxy have to look at. And, and for a lot of different reasons. Going forward, this is going to be another winter provided normalcy comes back at some point, it's going to be another winter where there, there's going to be some retrenching. I think Pavone's probably gone. He's going to be too expensive to keep. Um, they're going to have these other guys' contracts are going to come up. You know, they're, they're def- definitely the way the team's playing now. It's not meshing. They're going to have to make some changes. So you're going to go into another turbulent offseason. Uh, and if you have the same manager pulling the strings, I, I just don't see how it gets better. So if Guillermo can't give the Galaxy reason to keep him in this next game – I think his position becomes really precarious just uh, for the timing, if nothing else. And you talk about this season, you know, Galaxy off to the fir- worst four-game start in their history. These games here in Orlando count the regular season standings. So when they go home, they will have played five games. Let's just say they get a point. Right. Uh, so they come back, five games, they have two points. They're probably going to play 20 to maybe 25. I know Don, Don Garber wants to play more, but realistically, that might be a regular season. So you're one quarter to one fifth of the way through the season. And you have two points. Uh, yep. It's almost like, what's, what are you, you going to play for now? Yeah, I mean, as it currently stands, LA Galaxy last in the Western Conference with one point through uh, through the four games they've played. Uh, so, you know, there's only 12 teams in the Western Conference uh, with Nashville uh, going over to the Eastern Conference for the rest of this season. So you have that. Uh, if you look at Group F, they're at zero points last in Group F. Uh, right now, the Houston Dynamo, who they play, uh, is currently the third place team, and they do have the, the Houston Dynamo advancing uh, right now if things stay the same. They're not going to stay the same, though, because these... There's a whole bunch of games to be played. And so really understanding what the LA Galaxy have to do, it, it's kind of it's kind of easy, one, to say that you kind of know what's going to happen. Um, one is that the LA Galaxy will have to beat Houston, and they'll probably have to beat them by more than three goals or three goals at least. Um, what happens with the other games is something that you know we can sort of pay attention to as we get closer and closer and closer because you have all these teams that are going to be vying for uh, you know that third place spot. It, it's funny because you look at the third place group right now, and this was before the game that got played uh, on Monday night. I think they had two games played on Monday night, but uh, we, we, we started recording before all that, and I have my stats 
from that. But, you know, they have Sporting Kansas City, who's only played two games. They have Chicago Fire, that's only played two games. They have New York City, who's only played or who has played all three games. And then FC Cincinnati, two games. DC United, two games. Houston Dynamo, two games. So there's a bunch of teams that still have to finish that, which means that those teams may not even be third place teams anymore. Um, so the gold difference does matter. So that's one of the things that you definitely want to talk about. The four highest ranked third place teams in the group stage based on total points advanced to the advanced to the round of 16. The LA Galaxy have not been eliminated. They won't be eliminated, I believe, until they play. Um, and then that should be the final sort of the the game is over type thing. But you're going to have to talk about playing the Houston Dynamo and, and routing them in order for the LA Galaxy to even have a hope and a prayer uh, to advance on this. And if there's any tiebreakers, it's total number of points. Uh, it's goal differential. So goal differential is a big deal. And right now the LA Galaxy uh, sitting at a minus five goal differential. So not, not great, Bob, as they would say. Um, they have... Uh, uh, then it's goals for and then fewest disciplinary points as you go through sort of the tiebreaker. So uh, a lot of mountain climbing to do by the LA Galaxy if they want to extend their stay uh, at Walt Disney World here. And uh, I just I don't see it happening. And quite honestly, the way that they played, uh, you know, the the sort of this Houston game upcoming out uh, withstanding, they, they probably don't deserve to go uh, any further. But I'm, I, I imagine if they back, I imagine if they backed into it, Kevin, that they would still take it. Yeah, well, we'll give them another game, another game to play. I mean, at this point, you're just looking to, to play and train and get better. But, uh, I mean, Disney World has not been the happiest place on Earth for uh, the galaxy. That's pretty clear. Oh, effortlessly humorous, Mr. Kevin Baxter. That's who you are. All right, let's switch gears. You want to switch gears and go completely sideways? Okay. Uh, let's go completely sideways. Let's talk about the NWSL. Um as many of you may have noticed, uh, this particular podcast is uh, is coming out a little later than it normally does, and one of the reasons is uh, that we have been que- uh, keyed in since Monday, um, since early on Monday for Mr. Kevin Baxter there, um, that the NWSL expansion to Los Angeles was going to be announced on Tuesday morning. Um, so uh, uh, abiding by all those wonderful rules, we decided uh, that we wanted to talk a little bit about this. So, uh, Kevin, why don't you give us sort of the latest on this NWSL expansion? team in Los Angeles and and you know let's try to figure out whether or not the LA Galaxy are actually players in this or not well the Galaxy issued a statement to me today where they said that they are very supportive of this new ownership group 30 at least 30 in fact in the reporting of this uh, started talking to people earlier today and every time I talked to another member of the ownership group they had just added two more people so it's up to 30 now it has uh, a lot of uh, Hollywood luminaries uh, America Ferrer Natalie Portman uh, Jennifer Gardner um, uh, Ava Longoria, Jessica uh, Chastain, Williams. right? Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. She mm-hmm. was one of the two that was added. She was one that was added late this afternoon. Uh, Serena Williams from tennis, I believe, is is part of that group. Some tech entrepreneurs. A good portion of the 99ers, the Women's World Cup team, like Joy Fawcett, and Mia Hamm, uh, Julie Foudy. Um, it, it's an eclectic group. It's a very large group. Um, and they don't know where they're going to play yet, nor do they know who or if they will be affiliated with either of the MLS teams. Again, the Galaxy issued a statement saying they're in support of that. LAFC did the same thing. The Galaxy said they are talking to the ownership group and would be interested in some sort of a deal where maybe the team would use their training facilities, maybe even their stadium. Uh, I don't believe the team is interested in having AEG have any kind of a stake in the ownership. It's a majority woman ownership group. They have a lot of plans to do things in the community, uh, and and uh, all of this started, uh, Natalie Portman got very excited uh, when her sons were 
uh, thrilled to watch the Women's World Cup. And she said, my sons and their friends, they were all, you know, they wanted to wear Rapino jerseys and Alex Morgan jerseys. And they liked soccer. And, and all they cared about was they were watching good athletes play soccer. And she said, I found that so strange because, you know, people from older generations have been taught that there's men's sports and women's sports. And she said, my son and his friends, they just saw great athletes playing a game right. that they love. And she realized that that a, a Rubicon, if you want to, you know, it, it had changed, you know, it had been crossed. And that now people wanted to see uh, that women's sports were okay for, for boys and men to watch. And she thought, this is something I want to be involved with. So this will be, you know, NWSL right now is playing in the Challenge Cup doing very well with their drug testing, by the way. No one's tested positive. They have eight teams playing there. The league has nine teams. They'll add a 10th team next season, Louisville. And this team, which is right now called Angel City FC, will start uh, in 2022, which is great timing for the team. It gives them time to to ramp up, to uh, to get things together, to find a venue. And also, it falls right between the Olympics and the Women's World Cup, which is exactly that sweet spot where you want to be if you're going to have a women's soccer team. Yeah, I was going to say, you're burying the lead on this, by the way. You're, you're mentioning quotes from Natalie Portman, but you didn't mention that you talked to Natalie Portman, which, you know... I, I, I did talk to Natalie Portman. I would think that as a soccer reporter, and and trust me, whenever we get into like the weird things and the conversations and the people I've been introduced to through soccer reporting, it's a it's a weird mix sometimes. Uh, I, I imagine that you know talking to Natalie Portman wasn't something you thought you would be doing, and especially not maybe about soccer. Yeah, I, I can see me talking to Natalie Portman. I can see... <laughs> Natalie and I hanging out somewhere, yeah. but talking about soccer and, and, you know, the ownership group or some of the, the, the parts of the ownership group, um, they watched the women's world cup and some, one of the, um, the partners actually went to see the women's world cup final in person. The rest watched on TV. And when they came back and sort of started this idea last August, one of the things they did is they went to a galaxy LAFC game. They happened to go to the one at bank of California. Uh, and they were just, uh, intoxicated by the raucous atmosphere and I was like, we want to be part of this. Right. Uh, and so that that is kind of where it started with the Galaxy game. Um, and it, it just sort of, they wanted to be part of that enthusiasm. And and uh, to, a, to a woman, everyone that I talked to in the ownership group, including Natalie Portman, did I mention her? Yeah, yeah I was going to say. I, I talked drop. to Natalie Portman. Um, everyone in the ownership group talked about, like, they could not believe that L.A. did not have a women's soccer team. Um, you know, when you look at how well USC and UCLA do in women's soccer, the number of World Cup players that have come from here, you know, Amy Rodriguez, Christian Press, Alex Morgan, many of them still live here. This is, you know, the number of, of women players in high school and AYSO, the, the Southern California chapter of AYSO has more girls playing soccer than just about any other state in the country. And yet we don't have a women's professional team for these girls to go out and see play. And, and the, the woman I talked to were uh, just felt like that was, they use the word injustice. That's just right. not right. And they wanted to bring a team here. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Well, in order to, uh, to wrap this all up and, and to put a, uh, a, a name uh, with this particular club, we were fortunate enough uh, to be joined just a little bit earlier today. Uh, just before we started recording, we recorded a, a little interview with uh, one of the, three founders, um, a partner at Upfront Ventures. We were joined uh, just a little while ago by Kara Nortman. So here's our interview with her. And joining us uh, technically before the news breaks, which is always fun for us to do. Uh, you're not listening to this podcast until Tuesday morning, but it's still Monday night. So uh, if we get points for being ahead of things, then we're going to take all of them that we can get. Uh, joining us is uh, Kara Nortman, a partner at Upfront Ventures and one of the three founders of the just announced, as far as you know, Los Angeles NWSL expansion team. Kara, thanks for uh, stopping by the podcast. We really appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, you know, my first question is, we've we've been following this story now for a little while, um, as news sort of broke that it looked like Los Angeles was going to be an expansion destination. Um, why Los Angeles and why now? And I, I only ask that question because, you know, Galaxy fans are well aware of the LA soul that we're here before. Um, so what in your mind has changed since then that makes LA the perfect place for this uh, NWSL team? Yeah, well, you know, I, I can speak to LA and then I can speak to how we all got here because they they they, they kind of go hand in hand. But you know, if you look at if you look at um, what's happening in the sport right now, it's just growing across the board. And Los Angeles is is really you know one of the capitals of soccer and women's soccer. I think even if you look at the NWSL right now, we have more players. I think UCLA has more players playing in the NWSL Challenge Cup right now than any other college led, you know, led closely behind by by USC. So you take, you know, our university system, you take the the fan base, you look at what's happening with, you know, the Galaxy over over decades and then LAFC more, more recently. Um, and it's just all the components are coming together. I'd say the, the, the second thing is, you know, we're Showtime and we know how to wrap entertainment and community and you know kind of tribal fandom into an incredible community experience and it's just that you know it's a natural time um following is just the the media rights the distribution and finally being able to watch these games and follow your players that's you know that's been something we've been waiting for for years and actually a big piece of what got me here as as a fan growing up and then coming out of the 2015 Vancouver World Cup, when I couldn't figure out how to buy jerseys for my three daughters after going to the game and couldn't figure out how to find content after going online and finding a single camera. And I just couldn't understand why nobody would take my money. Um, right. And so, you know, all of those things are changing um, right right now. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at obviously the World Cup success for the for the U.S. Women's National Team, and and a lot of those players, like you said, based here in Southern California. Um, I also know that the ownership group is and, and sort of the founders group is a unique mix of uh, of everybody and and and, and uh, some really strong and powerful people uh, in Los Angeles. Can you give me just sort of a, a broad overview of everybody, not just the founders, but also also some of the the partners that you have as well? Well, it's also yeah. majority. It's also majority women, which is very unique. I think there's only one other team, the new expansion team in MLS, I believe, is majority women. But other than that, there aren't many. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, I think one of the things so that that really motivated us to do this was to get women kind of in the what we call the cap table, but get women into the ownership structure and in the as founders, as investors, and to, to have skin in the game and to be written into history and to, you know, come at this and, and you know, and, and collaborate with all the men and the owners and the players and the unions. And so for us, it really started uh, about a year ago when Natalie Portman and I had struck up a friendship coming out of some of actually of our activism work. I helped start an organization called All Raise, which was supporting women in uh, venture capital and startup world. And she had done the same thing with Time's Up. And we became friends. And I just started talking her off about soccer. And it, it went from that to, hey, you know, why don't I bring some of my actress activist friends to a game and do what Jack Nicholson did for the Lakers and bring some visibility to these women who should, who should be paid to these players. And so that sort of started it and she actually was the one who said Kara let's buy a team let's find a team and I thought she was kidding at first and then I thought you know 
I'm a venture capitalist. This is what I do. I go try to figure out when a bunch of people tell me something's impossible, whether or not it is or, or, it, or it isn't. And so the way we got to our ownership group is candidly by having hundreds of conversations and realizing if we were going to do this, we wanted to do it in a way where we brought many, you know, women in, players in, you know, people native to Los Angeles, people who came from tech and entertainment and, and also people who came from sports. And, and, and so that's how this came together. And, um, I'd probably say my proudest moment was when the uh, 12 former uh, national team players who have ties to Southern California were emphatically and enthusiastically wanting to become owners in this, uh, in this, in this team. And that was just personally a moment of chills and pride and, you know, just honestly a dream come true. I understand you guys have not, uh, the, the nickname Angel City FC is sort of a working title and, and you're in talks with a lot of different perhaps venue partners, uh, the Galaxy have already publicly said that they're one of the people that apparently you've been in conversations with. Can you say anything about where the team might wind up playing? We are not saying anything yet about where the team might be playing. We hope to have news there before the end of the year, but uh, but nothing nothing to announce right now. And we're calling the project Angel City, so more to come there. But that you know reflects the group and our you know our intentions and what we're calling ourselves. But um, we'll have we'll have some other fun moments throughout the year when we unveil um, you know stadium partner and the, the the true team name and the color and the crest and all of those things to come. Uh, I understand one of the things that you all did after the Women's World Cup when this thing started to take off is uh, yourself, the actress Natalie Portman, who's also one of the founding owners, and some others uh, went to a Galaxy game, a Galaxy, the El Trafico at Bank of California, which is always a raucous environment, and you went out to see that. And uh, in talking to Natalie, she came away convinced that, yes, there was a very passionate fan base uh, in Los Angeles after seeing that game. Did, Did you come away kind of thinking, yeah, this could really work? I came away saying that what watching those Galaxy fans up in the corner and that experience and seeing the rivalry and just the, you know, how, how incredibly energized that, that experience was. I came away saying um, soccer in L.A., Galaxy soccer, best sporting experience I've ever I've ever had. And then, you know, I went down to Dignity Health for the uh, – for the um, for 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 the uh, U.S. Women's uh, National Team Olympic qualifiers, and I just I just got you know hooked, and um, yeah, it was just it was electrifying in a way that reminded me of going to the Lakers when I was a kid, and and just you know some high moments in life. So yeah, we we both walked away saying okay we got to make this happen. And that's when we started, you know, visiting other teams. We went up to, you know, I went up to a Portland game with Julie. And so, but that was it. That game is what really kicked it off and convinced us that this, this was real and it had to happen. You know, Kara, I was, I was going to say, you know, you're also a, a local kid. And I think that's an important thing to sort of note here. Um, you know, you said you, we were talking beforehand you said you grew up, you know, sort of in, in the San Fernando Valley. Um, what what really has ha, have you noticed growing up in Southern California and then watching sort of the evolution of the sports? You talk about the Lakers um, and obviously Showtime and and just everything that they bring sort of to you know the Los Angeles area. Um, you know how does that reference of growing up here also reflect on on your ability to bring a sort of a world class women's soccer team uh, here to uh, to Southern California? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, look, when you say soccer in Southern California, I think of gopher holes at Balboa Park and growing up playing soccer there. And then I think about, you know, my brother and sister going to the 99 game, you know, the World Cup at the Rose Bowl and 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 just every single kind of moment around my, my childhood, my life revolved around soccer. But none of us grew up thinking, you know, none of none of the girls grew up thinking we could ever be a professional athlete, right? We didn't think we could be president. We didn't think we could be a professional athlete. And so just, you know, this idea of taking all of the things I loved about LA sports growing up and, you know, I didn't miss a Laker game. I, I was a big Luke Robitaille, you know, <laughs> right. Marty McSorley, Wayne Gretzky fan, all of it. I mean, the joke in my family was that if there was log rolling to watch on ESPN, we were watching it. I mean, we just watched all sports, but it just, you know, when I was a kid, I, I just didn't know what I was missing, right? We'd watch every four years and we, met, we, we we didn't know what we were missing. And I think a lot of this is actually not just systematically like realizing we have the best players in the world that come from Southern California, the best university, the best fans, you know, the best supporter groups and communities. And it's just, um, you know, it's and, and then the culture and creativity. So it's just like for me, it goes from like the gopher holes at Balboa Park to that 99 game. And then all the things we've seen with um, – you know, nine world-class men's sports. And it's just, it's, you know, it's time. It's time to, it's time. And I think the entire city, country, county is, you know, is tuning into soccer in, in ways that they weren't even two or three years ago, right? Soccer, whether it's the Premier League or the Bundesliga. I mean, none of these, you know, Mexican League, you couldn't watch any of these sports right. two years ago on on television. And so um, LA really feels just like the perfect place to do it. And, you know, the home of world-class soccer, world-class fans across many sports. Uh, I was going to say the other part of that is uh, you, you mentioned that you have daughters. Uh, what do your daughters think about your your endeavor to launch a, a professional women's soccer team here in Southern California? Oh my god, they think it's the coolest thing that I've ever done, and they don't generally think I'm all that cool. So, um, no, I'd say that's been a really you know special part of it. Um, you know, I was writing my sort of launch blog post, and I was writing it with my ten year old, and I was having her edit it, and she's writing a little postscript for me, and just sort of seeing the joy and pride in their eyes and you know it just started with us watching games together and um and yeah no that's that's a huge part because in a way it combines everything i love and care about there's a my kids activism sports you know we've sort of approached it trying to to build the company more in a venture capital model where we're you know raising capital around different milestones and so um yeah but the kids part of it as you know a working mom who spends a lot of time Working is, uh, it's really something I have a lot of pride in. I was going to say my final question that I have, Kevin, and then you can, uh, you can ask yours is, uh, the, the team is supposed to launch in 2022. So you have a little bit of time and hopefully you'll get through a global pandemic and be on the other side of that before all of this oh, starts. We hope. <laughs> I know my fingers crossed. We'll, we'll keep it going. Um, how much work, uh, is, has it taken you to get to this point and how much more work do you have to do? Yeah, I mean, look, it's taken a ton of work. And if you had told me a year ago, I mean, the way this started is Natalie Portman texted me and said, let's buy a team. Let's right. start a team. And I, I, you know, when Natalie Portman tells you to do something, when, you know, the queen from Star Wars tells you to do something, you do it. Right. Uh, but, um, 
you know, it's been a lot of work. And I think it's been a lot of work because we started with a lot of people telling us why it couldn't happen. And then we sort of started getting to the people who were believers. And I, I in some ways, I think that's the hardest uh, part of it, the cold start, the all the components, the making sure you're really learning and standing on the shoulders of the giants who came before you and paying homage to it and trying to evolve the model and understanding what you know, what you don't know, what you're going to do the same, what you're going to do differently. And then it'll be a forever thing. I mean, I think one of the really important things about anything you start right now is to realize that um, we're going to make mistakes and um, and we have a lot to learn and we have a lot to do, but, you know, we're going to chest pound and scream, you know, from the, the tops of L.A. buildings and Mulholland and whatever is the highest point in Orange County. Um, yes. Uh, and, you know, kind of go forward from here. But there's a lot to do, but I feel like actually we, we're through the biggest hump, which is convincing you know the world the league the you know the, the 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 many people that this is the time to do it and uh we've just been overwhelmed by the positive support you know across all those constituents now for the last question you're right the timing i mean if if we have an olympics next year in japan the u.s could become the first women's team to be to, to win a gold medal while they are the reigning world cup champions no one's ever held both titles at the same time and you would launch a year after that. You would also launch a year before the 2023 World Cup. So you're right between the two major events. I mean, it's a time when people will be focusing on women's soccer in 2022, the men's World Cup, which, you know, the game always gets a bounce from that. That'll be played then. But for a moment, for the last question, you guys also have a focus off the field with the LA84 Foundation that uh, you're going to work in at-risk communities and, and try to, to make a social difference at well. Could you talk a little bit about what your thoughts are there? Um, making an impact and, and partnering with LA84 from the beginning was was really important to us. Um, this is uh, what we, building community, building access for um, young girls and youth sports development, and particularly young girls of color, is just is critical for the long term development of the sport. Like we, we want the sport to represent the world we live in. We're trying to build a sport, a team, a front office, back office that represents that world. And so we'll start with a listening tour. Um, you know, we'll convene community organizations and, and you, you know, I think it's important to do these things methodically and not just uh, say we know exactly what we're going to do. But um, but this listening tour, we're going to select one or two things to focus on and really commit to driving change over, you know, a, a five year period. And so so anyway, so we are absolutely thrilled to be partnering with uh, LA84 and, um, you know, kind of touching all parts of our community. Yeah, it sounds like it's a it's a great job. I know there's like you said, there's a ton of work still to do. Um, I'm I'm excited that there's going to be uh, women's soccer in Southern California. I think it's long overdue. Uh, so congratulations on getting this far. And I know a lot of people will be cheering you on throughout the rest of it. Is there some place where, uh, where people can follow you right now, Kara? Do you want to send them to your Twitter? Any place you want to plug, you, you're more than welcome to do it right now. Oh, yeah. Follow me at, at Kara Nortman on Twitter. It's the only place I'm public. I'm just a mom on Instagram. And you can hear about soccer, tech, venture capital in L.A., but there's quite a bit of soccer. So thank you guys so much for having me on. And uh, Galaxy fans, we are just so excited to be bringing an L.A. team um, into uh, this this amazing L.A. soccer community. So thank you, guys. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks, All Kara. right, guys. Have a good one. All right, you too. All right, there goes uh, Miss Kara Nortman. Uh, so uh, a great interview there for sure. I, Bye, Kara. Yeah, Bye. yeah. I was gonna say, look, look, look how look how good we are at all this. Uh, Put your mask on. Um, 
no, I thought it was. I, I think that Kara is a, a really interesting personality. I mean, you know, she talked that she's a venture capitalist, and you know, they don't always are aren't always painted in the, in the best light. But um, it feels like she's coming from this from a real genuine sort of you know place and wants to bring soccer to Los Angeles. And you know, uh, along with the uh, the text messages from Natalie Portman, um, which by the way she was. I, t- I talked to her. I talked to Natalie. Portman. <laughs> yeah, I heard she didn't give you a text message, uh, which is why uh, Kara is way cooler than you are. Um, but. Uh, you know, Kara puts this together with, with Natalie Portman and, you know, the the three founders sort of go on there. So now they have this unbelievable ownership group. Uh, the names they can drop is is pretty interesting. Um, and again, we'll see sort of what that holds. I don't know if the LA Galaxy will end up being players in all this, Kevin. And I, I don't think that I think that still has time to sort of play out uh, with play not starting until 2022. Uh, Kara talked about all the work that still has to be done and all the things that, w- that we sort of have to do um, before it gets there. But um I'm in general agreement. You know, it seems like the time is is right outside of a global pandemic uh, and what is probably a global recession that will follow that outside of those things, Kevin. uh, It seems like, you know, they're right that they're on this in the correct time and that their um, deployment of this team seems like it's it's pointed in the right direction. So. You, you know, another thing, sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's the, fine. The, the 99ers who are part of this, and, you know, again, Joy Fawcett, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, uh, Abby Wambach is part of it. She was on the 99er, but she's part of the ownership team. Uh, my understanding is at some point these players, and I believe there are a dozen in total, um, Rachel Bueller is, uh, Bueller is another, uh, at some point these players will step forward and take a much more active role in this group. And Mia Hamm is somebody who's really interesting because she's part of the ownership group at Roma in, in Italy, Syria. She's part of the ownership group, as we know, at LAFC. And now she's part of the ownership group here. Um, clearly, she has a lot to add. She has a lot of energy. She has a lot of uh, uh, knowledge. I understand when LAFC started, they had a massive ownership group, too. I think at one point it got to be 36 or 38 people. Many of them, Tony Robbins and people like that, never showed up to any meetings. Mia was the one that was at every meeting, how big, no matter how big or how small, throwing out ideas, saying, why didn't we think of this, and really pushing the envelope. And I, I, I just, it, it, she seems like she's going to be somebody who's really going to make her mark on the game now as uh, an executive uh, after, you know, the stellar career she has as a player. I think she's but somebody really to watch. LAFC, of course, you know, I- even if the women's team now was uh, was going to partner with the Galaxy, LAFC, I've been told, has said, look, this is your own personal thing. You know, you put in whatever you need to put in here at LAFC and make continue to make your contributions and good luck with your women's team. Right. And it's not one of those things where, oh, no, if they, if they go play at StubHub, you can't be part of that team. No, it's fine. And uh, I, I just have a feeling that she's going to make her mark now as an executive, maybe even a bigger mark than she made as a player, which would be incredible. I was talking to a group of friends and we were talking about Mia Hamm and you're like, can you can you have women's soccer in Southern California without Mia Hamm? And, you know, that shouldn't color anything any different way, regardless of which way it goes to me Mia Hamm is synonymous and should be synonymous with women's soccer here in Southern California and I don't think that they could have sort of you know a a better person who's on the ownership for that because she's championing that ultimately um, kind of whichever way this goes, Kevin, if, it, if the LA Galaxy are, are, are interested, um, if the LA Galaxy are interested, then we probably have to add another podcast to Corner of the Galaxy. And, you know, if they sort of uh, are, are part of this group and somehow, then then we'll do that. And uh, if they're not, I, I feel like Los Angeles deserves a women's soccer team right now. Um, and I feel like Mia Hamm being there and being a driving force behind it can be nothing but good. Um, kind of just separating the whole, you know, LAFC, LA Galaxy thing. I, I think that's, that's basically, that doesn't mean anything right now now uh what it means is that mia ham wants to back this project because she believes in it do you know who else is part of the ownership group go ahead lay it on me who do you got 
Natalie Portman, oh. with whom I've spoken. Congr- congr- you're gonna you're gonna hold that over. I mean, first of all, what who's the comedian? The um our our favorite comedian. Will Ferrell? Not not <laughs> no. No, oh, not you mean Gary Goldman. Gary, Gary Goldman. Goldman. Whenever you talk He's to Gary Goldman. Yes, get whenever you talk to Gary Goldman, I was jealous. All right, because I, I love Gary Goldman. You love Gary. This is this is the thing. I was jealous. Um I'm just more amazed that they let you talk to people. Really. That's I mean, that's what it comes. Whenever it talks to Natalie Portman or anybody else, I'm amazed that they let you talk to these people. That somehow like somebody connects. There has to be an assistant who connects you to people stars and that just that having talked with you as much as i have i'm i'm shocked and amazed that people allow that to happen gary goldman that interview i i got about 15 minutes that i needed uh, to get stuff and then i talked to him for an hour just because i didn't want to i didn't want to stop the interview it was so much fun and i actually made him laugh about three times which i was just beside myself telling my wife mrs panda i made the comedian laugh i no. just thought that was the greatest thing i'm sure they were pity laughs much like on this program that's yeah. what that's what i imagine dad jokes yeah yep absolutely um all right so that's sort of where we stand uh with the nwsl if anything else comes out of this we'll let you know we'll sort of fill you in we'll try to do anything that we can to to keep you updated but uh kevin you have an article that came out technically on tuesday morning uh that covers a lot of this so i encourage people to go to la times um, and sort of look at that. Uh, let's go just real quickly and talk a little bit about the Houston Dynamo. And I know we've, we've shaded that already. Uh, we've talked about the most important uh, stat of this particular game, which is July 23rd is my birthday. So that's the most important part. Uh, we talked a little bit about what the LA Galaxy did, do need, need to do to advance. And we don't even know if there's a wing and a prayer with that, uh, if it works. But the Galaxy basically need to look at this and say they need a 3 nothing win. Uh, otherwise, that's not going uh, to be a good one. Uh, the Houston Dynamo started the tournament with a, uh, a thrilling 3-3 draw with LAFC. They were leading that game um, for large portions of it, and then LAFC reeled it back in. Eventually, a 3-3 draw was where they ended. Uh, Houston lost to Portland then, which uh, which I think helps the Galaxy out in terms of you know making a path forward. Um, certainly, a point from LAFC would have done the LA Galaxy a lot better. Um, and as we said, the advancement strategies here for the LA Galaxy is basically to blow Houston out of the water. Uh, one of the interesting things is that whenever Houston lost to Portland, was Albert Elise uh, was red carded after two yellows, so he'll be unavailable to play the LA Galaxy. He scored two of their goals. Uh, Memo Rodriguez also scored twice um, in the games that have been played so far as well. So one of the bigger uh, goal scorers for the Houston Dynamo will not be there. So if you're looking for any positives, there's a positive. If you want to look at some of the negatives is that uh, Tab Ramos, and I'm sure this isn't a negative for Houston Dynamo fans, but uh, head coach for the Houston Dynamo, Tab Ramos, has done what I think is a really good job sort of putting this team together. They have an identity. They know what they're doing. They're quick on the counterattack. They're very, very good at pulling things apart. I don't think they had it all together whenever the Galaxy first played them. Um, and now you look at them and where they're at, I, I think that Houston will be a formidable challenge. We talked about you know Portland being able to play the LA Galaxy well. We talked about Houston Dynamo being able to play the Galaxy well. Uh, and obviously LAFC uh, is the best team in this group. And you know that's, that's not really so hard to argue about it. Um, but the LA Galaxy to try to get past Houston, score a whole bunch of goals there, Kevin. I think it's going to be a, uh, a very, very tall order. This game, uh, a 5 p.m. Pacific time kickoff on... Um, on July 23rd, Thursday, July 23rd. And uh, I believe this game is on FS1, if I'm correct. So FS1 for, for everybody who wants to watch it. What what are your thoughts on this game? Um, again, you know, I, I think Guillermo needs a big performance, whether it's from himself, 
you know, making some some brilliant tactical moves, making some substitutions. Hey, I can do that if he's having trouble. I can wave a guy in and wave another guy off. Um, he needs to have his players respond. And, and maybe that's the biggest thing. If Guillermo's saying that the team quit, that's not going to play very well in that locker room. Um, you know, their coach calling him out and saying they're quitters. Um, when we know that a lot of guys were just, you know, beyond their physical limits because of the heat and humidity. But if the game ended uh, after midnight, and I was driving home about 1 or one fifteen, and looked at the temperature gauge in my car, and it was 80 degrees. So it was at 1 o'clock in the morning, it was still 80 degrees. So it was a little hotter during the game. I, if Guillermo wants to keep his job, I think I just think he needs a big performance, and that's not based on anything anyone's told me. That's just sort of a gut thing of the team's going the wrong way. You got a long break coming up. It seems like that's the time to to make the change. Now the Galaxy may look at it and say, "Look, none of this season happened this with this pandemic. None of this counts. You know, we're not going to judge anybody on what happens here." You know, that's another way to look at it too. I've never known the Galaxy to have a lot of patience with that kind of stuff, though. So I, 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 I don't know. I don't think he needs. I don't think Guillermo needs to win. I don't think the Galaxy need to score a lot of goals. I think they just have to put in a better performance than they did, uh, certainly against LAFC and maybe even against Portland. Um, that's kind of a low bar to get over. But I think Guillermo needs to do that. He needs to show some progress if he wants to really solidify his job here and, and earn the confidence of, of Dennis in the front office that he's the guy that can that can lead this team going forward. Yeah, we're almost at the end of our 16 days of continuous soccer, too, so everybody be prepared for that. Uh, the LA Galaxy play on July 23rd. The round of 16 doesn't start until the 25th, so if the LA Galaxy were involved in this, uh, they would be playing in probably on the 28th. Uh, the round of 16 matches go from the 25th to the 28th, uh, and then July 30th to August 1st are the quarterfinals. Uh, August 5th and 6th are the semifinals, and August 11th is the tournament final. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, LA Galaxy is still in the bubble. Uh, Kevin back is bubble adjacent um just here uh, again uh, a little update on the uh, the covid tests for inside the bubble uh, another clean uh, comeback no new cases of covid19 have been detected inside the bubble so the bubble holding firm um so i think kevin we've uh, we've been talking about it but there's still some pressure uh from major league soccer certainly on major league soccer with the fact that uh the professional athletes the nba and mls are able to get tests back so quickly and in uh, orlando and around those areas uh, those tests are taking uh, seven days, 10 days, um, certainly a long time to get test results back. So uh, I yeah, imagine I talked talk to a doctor who's waited 16 days for one of his patients. So I would imagine that that pressure continues to ramp up as this goes on. So um, I think for the most part that MLS and NBA are going to keep their heads down and just keep playing um, as much as they can, because uh, this is their sort of lifeline that they threw out was having these tournaments and, and doing all that. So uh, the NBA bubble, by the way, a lot less players. Um, I think 366 total tests for the last round in the NBA bubble uh, and their bubble is holding currently for the NBA as well. So uh, having said all that, it looks like the LA Galaxy uh, have one more chance at redemption in the tournament, uh, kind of almost uh, regardless of what the outcome is. Uh, LA Galaxy need a performance against the Houston Dynamo coming up on Thursday. Uh, as for our podcast, we're throwing around a whole bunch of ideas about maybe going on the air late Thursday night. So just sort of keep that in mind <laughs> as we uh, as we continue on uh, through this week. And so uh, the game's at 5 p.m., so a little bit earlier. Um, I have some post-game stuff that I need to do, so maybe an 8 uh, p.m. show. And um, some of our tech is currently down or quote unquote out of the uh, out of the state. And so I don't know that we'll have a live show on Thursday, but just sort of uh, stay tuned and we'll try to update you with uh, with all that stuff. So, uh, Kevin, anything else you wanted to get to before we go? 
Yeah, if you need to talk to Natalie Portman, I'm your guy. Yeah, no, you're not. You got connected <laughs> through a line. They would never trust you with that phone number. Trust me. I, I, I wouldn't trust you with that phone number. So, uh, again, uh, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, uh, it's at KBaxter11. He's uh, effortlessly humorous, as we've said many, many times. Uh, the panda's right there. Please head on over to the LA Times Hall, his uh, sports coverage. I think he wrote a, a story about baseball. He wrote a story about COVID. He wrote a story about Major League Soccer. So, LATimes.com, you can cover all of his stuff right there. Um, oh, I talked to Carl Hyacin too. You talked to who, who's Carl Hyacin? Do, do oh, I? Come do, on. Oh my God! No, I don't. I don't. Do do I, say goodbye. Say goodnight, Josh. <laughs> it's one of those. Okay, that's fine. Um, anyway, so uh, but please follow Kevin over there. Uh, a big shout out again um, for the wonderful interview from uh, Miss Kara Norton. Um, so we'll uh, we'll stay in touch with Kara, and if we can bring you any more updates on all this, we will certainly let you do that. If you're looking for me on Twitter at Jake Esman, J G U E S M A N, of course at Galaxy Podcast Corner all of our articles, all of our recaps, all of our videos, all that stuff right there on thegalaxy.com. All right, everybody. Have a great week leading up to a game on Thursday against the Houston Dynamo. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Gessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.